Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you can join us today. We are going to be talking about when Alzheimer's disease hits your family or circle of friends and how one author dealt with all of that. Um, But before I introduce her, I always, again, just like to let everyone know that Alzheimer's Speaks is True Talk Radio. Um, Everyone is welcome to join the conversation. We are live today, so if you have a question or a comment, you can call in at 323-870-4602, though I know most of you listen afterwards to the podcast. Um, I also want to uh, just let you know that the radio show is only one of the forms of um, education that we do. If you visit alzheimerspeaks.com, you will find A lot more information there from services and programs to free education and marketing and branding. And there on the tab, it's not quite finished yet, but um, I have just uh, written a book. We're wrapping up here called Betty the Bald Chicken, and that is all about how we care. And uh, so feel free to check that out. No, that page isn't isn't quite flushed out yet, but it'll give you a little bit of an idea there. We are going to talk with uh, Kirsten uh, Levy, who wrote the book, Alzheimer's Fantasy in the Key of G. And I'm thrilled that she's able to join me today. She has had a long career in research and administration at Boston University, where she managed research, uh, brought funds to the university, published several academic publications, and she also has an MBA in healthcare management. And so these two pillars in her career, um, set in that whole medical environment which she worked, really helped her when it came to Alzheimer's disease knocking on her family's door. So welcome, Kirsten. How are you doing today? I'm very fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation. I I always find it, you know, interesting. Um, And if you want to tell our audience a little bit about, you know, how you've been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends, um, that just kind of helps set the stage a little bit for us. Sure. Well, I didn't really um, think I would get to this point, but it was, uh, on the on another hand, it's kind of a natural. Um, as I was uh, caring for my own mother, whose decline in Alzheimer's was a um, sad thing to um, 
witness and be part of, I found the caregiving experience um, something very difficult, and I did not want Alzheimer's caregiving, the, the, the being in the hospital, the watching her decline, the food regimen, all of those caregiving um, parts of the puzzle. I didn't want Alzheimer's to engulf my mother. It was already engulfing her. I, I wanted to talk about the her family story and her as an individual using Alzheimer's as the way in. So I'm kind of not talking, coming at this memoir from the caregiving perspective, but more I'm using the setting of Alzheimer's as a way to go into her mind, sort of, kind of, if you get my meaning, go into her mind and speak for her so that she could speak through me. Mm -hmm. No, totally understand that. Now, I, I always like to ask to authors why they named the book the way you know the the way you did, and how did you come across that the Alzheimer's fantasy in the key of G? Well, <laughs> I've been asked that question a lot, and um, I hope my answer suffices. It seems. Um, it seems to be satisfactory when they, people are very puzzled, and then I explain. Um, the going into my mother's mind and seeing where she went and could she take me with her, that was imagination. I'm in the hospital room with her. I'm trying to connect, and she she was by then nonverbal. She could not talk and hadn't spoken much or introduced our our family my brothers and sisters hadn't we hadn't really met much of her own family there were tons of cousins around we whom we did not know so i was kind of at a disadvantage but i could use my imagination and and think of where she was in her disease and where she might be going so um that's a kind of a fantasy, and I thought that that would be kind of neat in the title, an Alzheimer's fantasy. And then the key of G part is uh, a way uh, to kind of um, introduce four fa family themes. Throughout the book, I talk a lot about, well, her, fam her, her, her family name, her maiden name, Griffin, um, long-standing Irish name, galaxy and gravity, two concepts. Um, uh, my mother loved to have her feet solidly on the ground, but my grandmother and my father, her husband, they kind of looked up into the stars, so gravity and galaxy. And then G. Clef, that's a music uh, concept, uh, I'm using it in my book as a thematic, but there was music in my family, so key of G. That's where the title comes from. It's kind of long, but and it's got a lot of explanation behind it, but I hope it has a little bit of a lilt to it. Yeah, no, that that makes uh, perfect sense. You had mentioned that you, you know, kind of strayed away from the traditional um, health memoir uh, format. Did you struggle, you know, uh, putting this together with multiple points of view? Was that difficult for you? 
Um, actually, I did it on purpose. Um, when I was relating the story, my Alzheimer's experience with my mother in the hospital and all the years of tending to her needs and going down to visit her where she lived, which was quite a bit away from where I live, um, when I was encountering all of that and relating what the actual uh, relating it was kind of like a narrative and I was talking from the omniscient narrator's point of view the third person point of view it it was coming out rather dry and kind of lackluster so I thought of a different way to introduce multiple points of view mine my own my mother's in that spacey place where I went to meet her in her brain, a narrator, I come right out and I use a narrator and I dress readers directly as dear reader. When I used those other points of view, things got a little more interesting. So I do stray from the traditional omniscient narrator's point of view or the strictly the first person point of view. I do go a little bit away from that. But I, I did it on purpose in order to make things a little more interesting. Okay, okay. So you didn't start out that way. It just felt like you needed to kind of adjust it as you went along because it was too I had dry. to adjust it. It was, it was feeling too dry to me. And I was saying, well, where am I in all this? I'm relating all this stuff about being in the hospital and what that means, what the hospital staff are trying to do, what my how my mother likes it. She didn't like it. It just didn't convey much except mm-hmm. for the actual words of explanation. Want sure. to go a little bit beyond that. Yep, yep. Well it's it's important to to capture the reader in the moment and stuff. So I, I totally understand that. Why don't you tell us uh, you know how you experienced um storytelling versus, you know, giving care. Well, uh, first I want to start off by saying that I'm, I don't want to create an either-or situation that you're, one is in the experience, one is dealing with it. And it, people who live with Alzheimer's, uh, I, I think I read a statistic, eight years. That's a long time. My own writing of the memoir and uh, then reflecting after it and writing um, caring for her, and then the reflection, the writing—that was about 18 years, if I mm-hmm. if I were to calculate it out straight. And I kind of didn't want the um, caregiving to be um, engulf the whole story. I thought there was a better, another way to relate to to my mother and connect with her by um, going beyond. Her, her simple disease, the, it was the one she feared the most, and that's the one she succumbed to. I didn't, I didn't want that to be the defining thing. I, I wanted to, to uh, use, uh, use the setting of Alzheimer's in her, the last um, few years of her life. I wanted to use the, the Alzheimer's setting as the way to set a story that goes way back to her ancestors when they lived in Ireland. And mm-hmm. I, then so I kind of um, I, I introduced her family story by the mechanism of the 
uh, of the Alzheimer's caregiving situation. Again, it's um, I'm not a clinician, and I don't have the last word on how you give care. Everybody's story is different. Everybody will find it's the, it's the story it's the story that matters. It's not really the patient who has the disease. The story allows you to speak up for the patient and allows mm-hmm. the patient to speak to you in some ways. Agree, agree. And it's the lessons wrapped in all of that experience, too, that I think are, are so vital. Was there a chapter that was easier to write than, than the others? Um, well, again, the stuff related to actual caregiving at the hospital or the day-to-day when I would go drive down and visit and spend the weekend and get, you know, get the meals taken care of and what are we going to do today, Mom, and let's um, don't don't cancel the meals on wheels. <laughs> Last time you canceled it, you just bailed right out. Please don't do it this time. Uh, that 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 stuff was easy to write. I was kind of boiling with it, um, all the hospital <laughs> jargon, and it kind of it just, that just flowed out of me. Um, but that again, it wasn't so. It was the easiest to write, but it wasn't where I wanted to stay. I wanted to go beyond that and get into the family story. Um, the, the you know the hospital would tell me what. Um, they would use the jargon, and they needed to make sure that I, I was at a certain stage of understanding what the end of life means. And when you are in a conversation with healthcare providers, that's the the, the coordinators, the nurses, the tr- treating physician. There's a bunch of you in the room, and you have these meetings. It's creepy when they explain what it's going to look like as your mother approaches the end of life and and what that really means. So that part was easy. That came right out. But I I spent more 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 time on on the other things that I wanted to say. And and each of those other things were different difficult in their in their own way, I would have to edit them and re- and structure them. Fortunately, memoir has a kind of a built-in chrono- chronology. You know, if if, mm-hmm. if uh, you can go from beginning to end, you you lived it. You know what happened in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. So you kind of have that that you can fall back on. But you don't. You can't really leave your story hang, hanging on chronology. That that can get a little boring. So. Um, I would try to change it up a little bit. I, I love historical detail. I did a lot of research, but I didn't want my book to turn into historical fiction. I mm-hmm. wanted, didn't want to depart from the, the actual crux of the matter, which was my mother. So those pieces, although they were the more uh, kind of, dare I say, entertaining, they had to be managed and I also wanted to be fair, uh, fair but strong. Some people might say that I was um, too strong and some not strong enough. Um, so those things had to, had to be managed. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, fair enough on that. Uh, <clears throat> as far as, you know, the most challenging um, chapter, was there one that stuck out for you on that? The most challenging chapter. 
Um, challenging chapter. Um, no, when I um, the challenge was how to uh, how to make it into a story that has um, that my my initial drafts I did five full on Mm -hmm. drafts and the initial three it kind of read like two separate stories the the when my mother had Alzheimer's part and when and the part where um the immigration from Ireland to Boston and growing up in Somerville Massachusetts that 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 came out like two stories and so and that exactly what I didn't want to I wanted one one story so the challenge was into was how to make those coalesce and and when I began with the multiple points of view, I could I could work things in at in different chapters that were too chronological in the beginning. But if I worked them in, say having them said by a different person or in a different sequence, it began to take on better shape and it began to feel like it all belonged. Mm-hmm. So I, okay. I can't really point to one particular. <laughs> thing uh, cha- chapter uh, but I can point to the difficulty as being how to make it all mesh. Okay. Okay. Do you think that your background, you know, your work background in, in research and and um things helped you helped you prepare for for caring on well, this journey? Um I think I I consider myself lucky to have been in a, a biomedical research environment. It's such it's such a can-do environment, and I was working with um, um, a stellar um, clinician and administrator. He he was the, my my very best boss anyone could ever be blessed with, and he he kind of let me do my own thing if i wanted to attend a seminar they're open to everybody but oftentimes you know you think you can't go because your boss wants you present in the office answering the phone or or doing this or that he he was uh, fine with it as long as i got my work done i i even went back to school and and um part time he was okay with that too so you it was an open environment i think that was the plus it was um, researchers all around me were working on very big questions, not Alzheimer's per se, but they were working on other very big questions in in, in heart disease, hypertension, and um, it's it's it, I was I am not a clinician, and I w- am not nor was not a researcher. I was an administrator in research, but I I could really get a pretty good idea <laughs> for how they go about it and what they do and how how challenging it is but how um how how uh, it's very so very worthwhile and these are the very big questions we still have today so totally um um uh, conducive to making you want to, uh, making you think and and how you might um go about in, inspiring you to go about doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot, and it sat with me. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, I, one of the things I always wonder, too, when you write a book, because, I mean, it's just such a, a personal thing, but were there things that, you know, you you didn't share that you wish you would have included in the book after after you published it? Well, I I I felt that I was being, uh, at time, I, I, I consider my book frank and honest, and the story isn't necessarily pretty. Um, so in that sense, I, had, I have related quite a few unpretty details. I didn't want to add on and add more unpretty details, and I probably should have put in some of the uh, fun and more lighthearted moments. I, I did both. But I shied away from making um, certain events. Um, like, for instance, I was once walking on the on the beach with my mother. She was a very big beach lover. It was the middle of the winter, and, and the sand was blowing in our faces. There was a stiff wind. It was very cold. This was uh, Newport Beach in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, and she wanted to go out for a walk, so we went out for a walk, and she was um, wondering, she was feeling very just downcast about uh, how all of us were getting along, my, my brothers and my sister and herself. Um, my parents had divorced. It, things didn't really work out. She was sad about what she saw, and, and I didn't know quite how to make her feel better about it. I, I didn't put that in the book. It was all, already going in a sad way, and I, I had no resolution for it, so I, I didn't I didn't add that. On the other hand, I, I she was a very witty person, and I prob and I put I captured her wit. I'm pretty sure of that. I could have been a little bit more lighthearted. I could have added a few more of those types of things, but I didn't. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, it was it's pretty lengthy. It's over 400 pages, so I I couldn't just keep going on and on and on. You have to know um, at some point you have to know where to call it quits, right? Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, it's a, you know writing a book is so much more work than I think most people have a clue of what goes into it and. You know, how does it flow? All of those types of, of things. I recently um, was asked, pardon me, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, that's fine, go ahead. I was I was at a book signing recently, and I was asked that very same question. I mean, point blank, how much time did this take? And um, I had to answer that um, that first part where I was in the hospital, chapter one in particular, I don't know, about 80 pages, came out in no time at all. I mean, it, it had some uh, variations, some rewriting, but it was essentially the same. That took no time. Then I put the whole thing to bed for several years because she was starting to decline more and more, and that was occupying my attention. I wasn't writing um, till her till the time of her decease, and then in 2011 when she died, till 2020 when I had a um, my sixth, fifth or sixth draft, I I was going full 
pretty on, not full bore, but I would spend, I spent the last three years, let's say, writing every day, uh, well, five days a week, five or six, four or six hours a day. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> That's a lot. That's a lot of time. <laughs> That's, That's a lot, lot of time. Yep. Um, what, you can't what do you it think? any other way, though. You just you have to just apply your to the seat and just look at your computer screen or your pad of paper or whatever mechanism it is you use to write with. You just have to sit down and do it. Mm-hmm. The exactly. ideas will come if you give them time. If, but if you're st- if you're spending all your time thinking about it, washing dishes, and take, taking care of the household and not actually writing, you'll have fantastic ideas, but you won't have had you won't have put them on paper. It's just putting them on paper figuratively or literally. That's mm-hmm. the job. Yep. Yep, exactly. Um, what what was your hope when you wrote the book for for others to find, um, you know, interesting or comforting or insightful in your book? Well, um, I there's a there are a lot of Alzheimer's resources out there, as you have discovered yourself, hence your your Alzheimer's speaks they're pretty hard to find there's a ton of them but they're not not in the right locations that you might look they're not handy at your fingertips i and they, and many of them have to do with the how to like guides i wanted to validate the experience and um funny thing that one of the uh, one of my readers mentioned that having read the book she felt that her experience her own experience was empowered in some way and that i thought that was a very nice compliment because what i was trying to aim for is for it to be seen as a way to tell your experience and to um and give yourself permission to tell it whatever way you feel it and having done that your story matters and if it, and if if you think it doesn't matter now it's going to matter a ton more later mm-hmm. this is the way to uh bring that to fruition a way a new thing a new way maybe to think about how your experience actually went down and Although you know the, the the bad and sad parts of it are still the story, and that needs to be shared. So I I figured that if I could share it, then other others might think that they could share it too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I think is really important. I think I think one of the biggest benefits of you know writing a book is you know helping people not feel so alone you know, in the experience. It's just, uh, it's one of the most... You can really feel alone, it's for sure. You can feel completely adrift, like, how am I going to manage this? On the other hand, all this I'm saying, it's not to say, it might not not be your cup of tea. I mean, my cousin did the genealogical family research on which this is based, Mm -hmm. and she can't even read the book 
She's mm-hmm. going through um, a similar situation with her parents, my uncle and my aunt-in-law, so she's not able to encounter it at the moment. And my own sister, my ally, she can't touch it. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, it you do have to give it time, and it might not be something that's ever going to be something, something you would find useful. Yep. Yeah. Well, and did you find for yourself that that it was healing to write? I, I hear that from so many people that for them they, they said if no one even picks up my book, for me it was a healing process in the journey. Well, I, I did have that thought. I said my goal is to just get a publisher who wants to publish it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then the goal became an actual contract for publica- publication. Then mm-hmm. the goal ca- became one book appearing in print, and then a book tour of one, and then <laughs> a, a book signing of one. The goal became very elastic. Um, you do feel uh, you feel validated for sure. Um, mm-hmm. When when you, when you um, when you see the finished product, but it was not what I envisioned when I set out. It was really um, the feelings that I got um, uh, having done it are kind of uh, multiplying now as I think about it. Not not as as when I set myself down to write about it. I mean, I imagined that it would be a healing thing, but I didn't imagine what actually that healing kind of meant. It it feels quite a bit like healing now. Mm -hmm. Okay. It does. Okay. Well, that's good. Are you you working on anything else um, that you want to share with our audience? Yes, I, I I am. I unfortunately, you know, the, uh, when one goes with a, um, a a small independent publisher, um, you do a lot of the you undertake to do a lot of the marketing your own self. They do it on their end, but they don't have one of these um, big budget budgets such as uh, the Houghton Mifflins of the world have. So I I knew that that I would have to be do have to be doing it and it that takes a lot of time and it it's a huge distraction from being able to as I was saying earlier sit down on my chair open my uh, word file and write in it so mm-hmm. I regret to say I my um this thing I'm working on which I hope to be shorter a novella kind of a length um uh, I'm not really able to spend the time on it that I want to, but I have what it is is I have in mind a story about um, several a group of women friends who ha- over time they've been friends a long time and they got together with their husbands. All of their husbands have now passed on, and they are reflecting on their marriages with their counterparts who all of them are immigrants to the United Mm -hmm. States. So I'm kind of getting into an immigration story, a cultural story, um, and a long-lived marriage story. That is the point. That's what I want. That's where I want to get, but 
I'm not making very fast tracks towards it at this at the current moment. But I'll I will. I'll get mm-hmm. back to it. It all takes time and it unfolds when it's supposed to too. Um I think sometimes when you start out with a book concept it can change over time too and uh and you know, take you in a different direction. Like, you know, you were gonna write a regular memoir and then decided, nope, I needed to, to look at this from different angles. Different angles, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do, do you have any advice? Because I know a lot of our audience probably, I, I think everybody has a story in them and they contemplate maybe writing every now and then. Um, do you have Do you have any advice for them? Advice for writing a memoir or advice uh, for writing a story of any kind? I think writing a story of any kind. I think, um, well, it's it's really the discipline of sitting down and actually doing it. You you can have a zillion ideas, but what you have to do is sit down and write it up. Like, it may come out as nonsense, but you can always go back to it afterwards and draft it redraft it more towards what you thought you were thinking mm-hmm. um, but you got to get it down on paper and you can choose any style the, 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 your imagination let it just run wild you can don't be don't self-edit just kind of put it all down there and, and at a later time when you're in editorial mode you can you can fix it but the ideas have to bubble have to let them bubble to the surface of your mind and then onto the paper mm-hmm. a memoir is a great genre for self-expression but there's not only memoir there's lots uh you know many people choose fiction fiction is all made up mm-hmm. um there that's a real that's a real free freestyle freewheeling um uh, genre that's i'm trying my next piece in fiction um and it's it's a little scary because it's just so um anything goes you really mm-hmm. have to think what do i what what's the plot who are the characters mm-hmm. what what are they going to do what what are they going to say to each other um so if you if you sit around watching watching television or washing the dishes thinking about all this stuff that's the time when you should be sitting down actually writing writing about it mm-hmm. you're you're expressing yourself and there's no um you've you've got issues that you might not even know about you you might not even think that you're you have the courage or the insight to write about them but that's you don't you don't care about that you mm-hmm. can fix that at a later time just get it out there mhm Good, good advice. Good advice, and I think it really is important to um, to jot things down. When you were when you were kind of outlining your book, did you think of titles and 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 things in terms of where you were going to put stuff in, or did you just start writing and then try to organize it after the fact? I organized after the fact. I I um, I, I I gave each section a kind of a subhead title and. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, um, all of my subhead titles remained intact. They, very, with very few exceptions, did I change change them. They they kind of are they're still the structure of the book. 
and the chronology of it, the memoir, the flashing back and the flashing forward, um, those are all encapsulated by the subtitles that I gave each chapter, and they're, they're the ones that I thought of as I was writing. What I changed was I, I, put, I would um, put them in different order mm-hmm. a lot. I changed the structure a lot. Okay. I, and I played with the different points of view a lot. I would think, now who's the best person? Should I, shouldn't I be the one saying this? But if I say it, I'm going to look like I'm a know-it-all. So I'm going to make, I'm going to, this is going to be one time when I'm going to address a question to the reader, dear reader, mm-hmm. or something else. Now, this is something perfect that my mother, she, this is what she used to say, and I'm sure she's going to say this about this. So let's have this come out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. You, you can be very, after you've got your, your characters, you can be pretty analytical about what it is, what, it's, what it is more likely the one is going to say and the other is going to say back and you can mm-hmm. then you get dialogue that goes back and forth that kind of magically unfolds i mean in mm-hmm. in an ideal world it's magic it's not really magic but i think you get the idea of what i'm trying to say yep yep for sure well is there anything else that you want to you know share with our audience about your about your book and um your journey at all well, I'm very glad I did it, um, and I I have uh, a kind of a um, a new understanding, if I might say, with my children, and they are and my husband. They didn't know three quarters of all of this. Most much of it they knew. They saw me going down to Newport. Mm-hmm. take care of my mother but lots of things in my uh, past they didn't know you know you don't you, you grow up you, you don't really talk about the family story or in our in my family we didn't mm-hmm. um so this this i'm very pleased that my family has come to know um how i grew up by reading mm-hmm. this and everyone has read it I, i'm pleased to say so that that's also something new uh, something that I've enjoyed in, in this whole process. So it's um, it's 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 had a um, I feel very satisfied by that. If nothing else, I've got that. It's now, a great did thing you have, to have. Did you have any family that pushed back on your writing about this at all? Because I know sometimes families go, you shouldn't you shouldn't share that stuff. You know that's private. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I had uh, my cousin. She she was. Um, in her words, offended. Um, she didn't like how Alzheimer's was being portrayed. You know the mm-hmm. the parts of the disease, the parts of the um, the interaction with yourself and the patient. Um, she's going through it herself, so I understand. I didn't like it myself. I understand mm-hmm. her not liking it, and she she. She also uh, suggested um, a, a couple of name changes, which I, um, I, seeing 
her point of view on it, I totally agreed with. So I, I did, I, I did quite a lot of name name changing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so she's the principal one, and my sister. I've been a little bit disappointed because uh, she she doesn't want to talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah. push back in terms of. Um, you know this no one's no one's come out and say no don't write that mhm okay yeah cuz i i know sometimes that does happen with families and and uh you know but but yet it's it's your story it might be your story and their story together but um your perception i i just find that these stories are so helpful uh to so many people on so many levels uh, to again just not feel alone out there uh, with, you know, on their journey. And um, to me, I think there's great comfort that people find in that uh, perspective. I I, I feel, uh, you know, in terms of my siblings, I I do feel that I'm alone in the sense that I have my own take on this. And Mm -hmm. you have your take and you can write a book also. Go right ahead. All power to you you'll feel, you'll feel better for it and our points of view are not identical and mm-hmm. that's okay yep yep yeah i i'm i'm with you on that one and you know you can't please everybody and family dynamics uh have their own turn and depending on how somebody experienced the disease if they were even part of the journey um yeah. i i, I hear a lot of people go well you can't write about that and and people will say you weren't even around (laughs) you know you you, you don't even know um but uh yeah so it is it is a very interesting take well Kristen, i really appreciate you uh spending time with us today people can go uh to her website uh, my irish family history and memoir and uh, you can uh, just go to www.klevisandvictorywriter.com. She is also on LinkedIn, so you can go to Kirsten Levy and look her up. She also has a Facebook page, which is klevy.writer, and she's also on Instagram. Levy underscore writer as well. So lots of different ways to be able to to find her and and find her book. I really appreciate you spending time with us today. Um, and well, it's my pleasure. It's it's an, an um, I, I love this idea of the, the asking authors directly how they um, see the writing of their book books i know you're you're not the only one but this is the first time anyone's asked me so i'm very mm-hmm. very pleased about it and thank you very much well good good i'm i'm like i said i i love hearing people's stories on this and again you can um look our book up alzheimer's fantasy in the key of g uh thank you so much everyone we are going to hear from the adaptive equipment and caregiving corner And then we're all going to get on with our day. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. 
It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.